Hello and welcome back. It's episode 66 of Canberra Conversations with your host, Colin Campbell. And for today's episode, I'm also your guest as it is another solo Q&A episode where I dive into the questions I've received over Instagram. Today's questions, expect to hear me answer around my own personal investments, career progression tips, the defining moments that I see within my life and what I would do again if I was 17 as well as a good few others. I really hope you enjoy this episode and it's one that I'll continue to try and include every 10 to 15 episodes as long as the demand remains there. And I think it gives me some reassurance that whenever I have a guest on, I'm not going to try and make it the Colin Campbell show because there's other opportunities to learn more about me if you're asking questions on this format. I'm pleased to say that today's podcast is brought to you by MTN Coaching. Founder David Hatt has appeared in the podcast twice now, and we've got a third episode in the pipeline that I'm sure you'll all be excited to hear. David heads up a team of six coaches who come together to form the leading fitness transformation service in Scotland and the UK, and they provide bespoke programming to enable you to lose fat, build muscle, all while improving your lifestyle and your general habits and leading to an improved quality of health for you. If you want to work with MTN or you want to inquire about the various different projects and support that they offer, you can hit the link in the bio below, which is mtncoaching.co.uk to inquire and get in touch with David and his team. The podcast continues to go from strength to strength, and I'm incredibly appreciative of all the support that I receive. If there's an episode that you've listened to in the archive, or even if you're really, really enjoying this one, please take the opportunity to share it with a friend. The main way the podcast continues to grow and enables me to get leverage to bring on excellent guests is through increased listenership. So please share it with a like-minded friend you think would enjoy it, and we'll continue to grow together. Without any further ado, let's get into my conversation with myself. Welcome. It's another solo podcast and a Q&A answering the questions from Instagram. We've got 29 to get through in total. So this will be a short, sharp episode with a few of the deeper thoughts and feelings of Colin Campbell and hopefully of interest or of value. And as I said in the intro, a nice way to break up the episodes with guests of which I've got a fantastic backlog now and so much so we may even see two episodes a week moving forward. But I won't promise anything until I can deliver. Without any further ado, dive into the questions. No nonsense here. Question one, if you had the power to change one thing about the world, what would it be? For me, there's the opportunity here to go really deep here, like very political or look at a worldwide issue. But I've decided to think about it from a personal perspective. And I think if I had the power to change one thing on a personal level, it would be for people to be more honest with themselves. I think a lot of our pain and struggle comes from our inability to address the tales or the lies that we sometimes tell ourselves. And that sounds really difficult, but if we were more honest about who we are, what we want, and then reflected that in our actions, then I think we'd be a lot happier. We'd be a lot healthier. We'd be more fulfilled and have greater purpose in terms of our actions and for me, that sounds like a happier world. I don't want to address things from a, a wider perspective, but I think personally, I think if we were more honest, that'd be excellent. Question two, your gym pet hates. I found it hard to whittle this down, so I'm feeling a bit savage. We're going to go for three 
gym pet hates. The first of them is imagine you're in a busy gym, hopefully not during the COVID period, and you've got two people who are training together. They're both doing incline bench press, for example. This is one I commonly see. Now, in a busy gym, etiquette should dictate that you work in together. However, you often see people who actually know each other and sometimes even training together as partners using two separate benches, two sets of dumbbells and using separate equipment, taking up kind of valuable room and space that is just not necessary. And I also think on a kind of further forward level, if you want to use the barbell bench press and you, there's somebody on it that you sort of know, we should be comfortable enough unless it means unracking tons of plates and the weights you're using are like, tens of 30s of 40s of kilos apart then we should be more uh, amenable to working in so a gym pay is people not working in with each other or particularly training partners using different bits of kit at the same time question three or sorry the second gym pay holding on to the handles on an incline treadmill so if you're walking on an incline on a treadmill the calorie count and the benefit of the exercise comes from the stabilization needed to walk on the incline without support from the handles. And if you are taking the calorie count on these machines seriously, then you need to be doing it as unassisted as possible. And if you were walking up a hill in everyday life, you would not by any means be holding on for dear life. So the calorie count in these machines is calculated without thinking it's holding on so there's no point in doing that equally if you find it hard to walk on that then reduce the incline and get more used to it and we progressively overload to get there last one that kind of links into that calorie burn piece is people obsessing over the calories burnt on a fitness watch or a, or a, or a fitbit or a tracker particularly when the goal is muscle gain or muscle stimulus or toning whatever term you want to use Nobody should really care too much that their leg session built or burnt 600 calories. We should be focused far more on did the movements that I chose within this program stimulate the muscles that I need to? Did I progressively overload the movements? Did I use correct range of motion and technique and form rather than, oh, that was a really sweaty leg session. I burnt 600 calories. That might be good if you're in a a fat loss focus phase and equally these watches are incredibly inaccurate and I actually don't wear one no slight against anyone that does but don't hang your hat on what was accomplished within the session just based on calories focus more on getting stronger and overloading your desired rep range stimulating the muscles properly and using correct form really common question number three who's your dream podcast guest and we'll touch a little bit more on this later on with the other questions but I think James Clear remains the main guest I would love to have on because his book Atomic Habits has had such a profound effect on how I live my life, how many of my friends live their life, how many of the listeners live their life. So I think it'd be fantastic to have James on and really delve into it. He's been on lots of podcasts. He's a very busy guy. I think we'll have to continue growing the podcast to, to have the leverage to get somebody like James Clear on. And alongside that, I'm really pleased with where we're at just now. I said previously that I wanted Joe Delaney and Andrew Craig alongside. Um, James is one of my main priorities is coming on as a guest. And we've achieved that already in the first 60 odd episodes to, to have those two on. So to have two of my top three kind of most desired guests on the podcast already feels amazing. So let's keep shooting for, for James Clear. Right, this question, I'm going to sip the monster before I answer this because it's it's quite heavy and it's a, it's a, it's a really good one. 
metal straw, of course. If you're watching on YouTube, you'll have seen that. Question four, Cole, you're 17. What's the plan? I'm going to answer this from two perspectives. The first of all, I'm going to look at what the actual plan was and what came to transpire. And then the second area, I'm going to look at what I might have done differently on reflection. At the age of 17, I would have been in sixth year at school at Bearsden Academy. And due to go and study a politics degree at Glasgow University, the reason for that degree was when I was at school towards the latter end, I wanted to be a sports journalist and I was writing a lot of match reports. I was writing a lot of newsletters, uh, particularly around rugby and the rugby club that I played for at the time and, and the men's team that played there. And the plan was I would go to Glasgow Uni, get a politics degree, which was advised rather than getting a journalism degree because we were cranking out journalists at that time, less and less people were reading newspapers. And you might see why I didn't end up as a journalist uh, based on the how things are in the online space. And that was very much the plan. Get a good quality degree, continue with writing sports articles, do some blogging, write some newsletters. And the plan was to progress in that space and build up my portfolio. I'd been published in the Herald at the age of uh, 16 or 17 and was writing reports every weekend in the local newspaper as well as on the website and doing some stuff for the Scottish Rugby Union as well, which is amazing. But I never really progressed that and it came to a stage where I I guess that was the plan and that was where I was where I was heading at that point I want to say before I tell you about what I would maybe do in reflection is that everything you do shapes where you end up so any experience that I had was valuable I am thankful for the politics degree I am thankful for getting to speak to and interview people as a journalist at the age of just 17 like some really um, big figures within the rugby world in Scotland and that was really valuable to me and probably some of that is fed over to my, my skill set nowadays both in work but also on the podcast however if I had my time again I think I could have done things better to end up further ahead than I am now on the path that I'm on and I think I would definitely still do the politics degree however alongside it as a joint honours I would do some sort of business focused around economics or finance or not quite accounting, but something in that space. So I was a bit more business minded and it could set me up for greater success in this space. Um, I would definitely start my side hustles earlier. I was clearly enjoyed writing and creating content, but it took me until 2017, which was when I was 20 or oh, what older than that. Yeah, I think I would have, I would have been 24, 25 in 2017. And it took me until then to be posting regularly online. Uh, that's not acceptable. Like if I generally at the age of 17, which would have been 2009, was focused, I would have been producing content from a, from a much younger age and that would have been valuable. However, the biggest piece that I would give, the uh, biggest plan I would have for 17-year-old Colin would be to stop caring about what other people around you think sooner because people will always judge you, especially when you do things that they deem unusual. So that might be creating more content online. It might be embracing my interest in fitness more. So it might be uh, not drinking as often on nights out when I didn't really fancy like doing it. And that would be a, a big focus for 17-year-old Colin, if I'm honest. Question five, three things you like about the fitness industry. Number one's got to be the people that I've met within it. There's a mixed bag of people within the fitness industry and I've been extremely selective and I've chosen those who I value, they add to my life and 
I see potential in either me helping them grow or them helping me grow and most of the time mutually and them having a will- willingness for betterment and self-development. There's a lot of people like that in the fitness industry. So I, I think the people within the industry are great if you find the right ones. Uh, other things I like about the fitness industry, the positive impact that it has on most people's life when they're involved. So physical change can have a massive impact on lifestyle and happiness. And if you just look at the time of recording, the gyms in Scotland have just reopened. People's well-being, their happiness, their levels of serotonin and dopamine are higher than they've been for such a long time because they've got access to exercise and the ability to positively impact their physical shape. So for me, the positive energy from exercise that the fitness industry facilitates is is, is a massive positive. Uh, Third, and by no means least, is the fitness industry, and I'm sure some other industries mirror this, has a tremendous amount of online free, supportive, educational content that's immediately accessible on YouTube, on Instagram. Again, have to caveat this, some of the information is shocking and really useful, useless, sorry, but Overall, fitness seems to have a great plethora of really high-level information that you can dive into and you can action it. Question six, the reverse. Three things you dislike about the fitness industry. Number one has got to be the promotion of quick fixes that completely mislead the general public who, on the whole, have a much lower understanding of health and fitness than we sometimes take for granted. I said this before on my episode with Jordan Syatt who is a really experienced online coach, we actually live in a bit of a bubble. And most people that listen to this will understand things like energy balance and macronutrients and progressive overload within your training. But most of the people that you encounter don't. Just look in your workplace, ask your family, ask some of your friends that aren't really interested in fitness. They are the ones that are likely to fall for the quick fixes like the fat burning pills, the juice diets, the booty blast program that's going to change your life in, in four weeks. It's just not the case. So that's the first thing I really don't like. The other is the over-editing of photos by lots and lots of people. I've seen this firsthand and never going to call anyone out on this unless I really get really riled up and I, I chin this monster and maybe some pre-workout. But there's a lot of over-editing. I know people who will not let you post a photo that you're with them in until they've had a play around with it. And they say, oh, we both look better than that. Can you post that? And naively at the time, I was like, okay, that's fine. But yeah, people can be very uncomfortable with posting. And I think first of all, it's unhealthy for their audience. But secondly, I think from a mental health perspective for that individual, some people can't post without a certain filter on their face or without it going through Adobe Photoshop and tidying up or smoothing edges or sharpening a little bit in your arms or your six pack that's really really unhealthy and I think the fitness industry has an awful lot of that unfortunately the last area and I'll take another sip of the monster is within fitness sometimes we fast track people towards competing in physique-based competitions like bodybuilding shows and I see a lot of PTs compete firstly to maybe try and grow their business. And I think that's a a grave error. I'm sure many of you will have heard people like David Hatt speak on the podcast about how it didn't really help him grow his business at all. Um, And I've got other friends that have done the same, uh, Lewis McFarlane, for example. And the other side of that is PTs almost being like, oh, you've done a, 
a cut for your summer holiday, or maybe you've not even managed that, but you kind of get into the gym and they force their clients towards doing shows because that's what they enjoy. And it takes a very certain type of person to go through with a physique show and come out the other end fairly unscathed or at least in a net positive with the experience they gained in it. And for me, I think too many people go from doing like a fairly base level of fitness to pushing themselves to the absolute extremity of health and fitness, which is physique shows. So I think it can be a bit dangerous and I don't think that people should automatically need to compete in a bodybuilding show to validate their interest in fitness. I, for one, felt some pressure around that and feeling that, oh, you need to go and do a show call and you you like, you train six days a week and you track your calories and you you get really ripped every summer. You don't don't uh, don't ever let anyone tell you otherwise. And uh, I think that's a, a real negative for the industry. Question seven, and I've <laughs> I've heard other people answer this before, and it made me think I'd I'd never even consider this. But three people at a dinner party, past or present, who would you invite? First things first, it would be remiss of me if I didn't mention this gentleman, and that is my grandpa, Willie Thornton, the, the Rangers legend. And I've heard so many stories. Unfortunately, grandpa passed away the year before I was born. He passed away in 1991 at the age of just 71. And I've heard so many stories from friends and family, from, from strangers who were impacted by, by grandpa's goal scoring and grandpa's behavior as a Rangers player. So for me, I would love to hear stories from his playing days, stories from his management days. And he was also the one of the tour guides in the match day hosts at Ibrox. So he has so many stories about the club and and who he is. So I would absolutely love the opportunity to, to pick his brains over dinner. The second of these, I was thinking about somebody from history. So this is another person from the past. I think Winston Churchill would be a tremendously interesting dinner guest because for me I think he's a real British hero he he managed to pull the country together and guide it forward in a time of real crisis and if I think you look at the way that the country has dealt with a crisis like coronavirus would we have benefited from a more Churchillian unifying uh, figure than uh, than the current political crop than we probably would and I think the most important part is that Churchill has quite a divisive past. A lot of people nowadays are refreshing and holding him to today's standards. So it'd be interesting to have a conversation with him and understand how to deal with adversity, how to unite people, how to put forward a strategy that moves the country in the best possible direction at that point and, and defeat what is a truly great evil, the, the, the Nazis and uh, hold off the communists in Russia as well. While of course, understanding some of his more divisive views that he probably held based on the time period that he was around. And third, I think we need to get somebody who's a bit of an entertainer and we're going to go for Drake, who's one of my favourite artists. I think he would be an interesting guy to chat to. A lot of his songs are songs I've listened to over the years in the gym. At different periods of my life, I can think about different albums that I listened to of his that, that had an impact. Although I'm not sure my grandpa or Winston would value his music, I'm sure it'd be an interesting um, person to have at the dinner table. Okay, question eight. We're going all financial. What investments do you hold personally? Before I dive into this, 
none of this financial advice. This is absolutely just what I do and what I like to do in my portfolio. So first things first, I have the biggest investment I have is probably my property, which Ian, my younger brother and I own together. That is a property in Bears Den, which we have a mortgage for. And as part of that investment in the property, we have a large deposit, which we put down. We pay a mortgage, but we also overpay on the mortgage uh, by about £100 a month, which means it's without penalty. And it helps us to beat, in inverted commas, the interest rates on the mortgage over the 35-year term. Uh, I can try and explain that on this podcast, but it probably needs somebody a bit more uh, technical than me. But I would advise if you are looking at buying a property or you're um, trying to understand about mortgages, there are opportunities to overpay on the mortgage, which will save you thousands, if not tens of thousands of pounds across the the mortgage period. Um, So that's the first area of investment. The second area of investment is kind of my bread and butter, which is about 10% of my after-tax salary will go into my Hargreaves Lansdowne account. And I split that between two funds. Uh, One of them is a global fund, which has exposure to a lot of different assets. And one of them is a British fund, which has exposure to um, mostly British assets and is actually performing really well at the moment. It's about 10, 12% across the few years that I've been investing there. So that's a very passive investment. There's a small amount that I've lumped in over the last two or three years into some individual stocks and sh- uh, stocks, sorry, uh, within Hargreaves Lansdowne, but their holding as a percentage of what I've invested overall is very, very small. And they were just like off the cuff investments where I had some capital that I liked the look of that stock and I'm going to hold it for a little bit. Equally, there's some trading fees around that. I think it's about £11 per purchase or sale on Hargreaves Lansdowne. So you need to take that into account when you are buying uh, stocks. Second area for uh, investment within the kind of stocks and shares market is I have a Vanguard account. Vanguard is similar to HL in some ways, but it's a little bit more focused on funds and index funds and ETFs. Uh, Again, if I'm using terms that aren't familiar and you're interested in this area, Andrew Craig is on episode 42 of the podcast and he'd be a good place to, to start to understand this as well as his book, How to Own the World. I have around... I think it will be, it's between eight to 10% of my post-tax salary will go into my Vanguard account. And I will invest in a ETF fund, which tracks um, in line with my proposed retirement date, a percentage of assets that are split between equities and bonds. And it's at the lower risk end. Of course, there's always risk in investment, but it's at the lower risk end of investing based on my future retirement date. Um, 100 minus your age is a rule that Andrew Craig has as well. So again, if you're interested in this area of things and look how much risk you should take within your portfolio, then please read this book and, uh, and understand what you could potentially be investing your money in. And last but not least, um, we've got a good percentage of my salary invested at the moment, don't we? I invest in cryptocurrency, uh, primarily Bitcoin and a couple of other altcoins. Uh, at the time of speaking, we are entering what's called alt season, where I spoke with the gentleman Deck and Don from Crypto Glasgow about what that means for the uh, the market. And it's very, very interesting to have an exposure to an asset which is a lot more volatile, but has been extremely fruitful so far. And I primarily use Bitcoin 
as a form of digital gold, as a hedge against inflation, because we are seeing some significant inflation. We're not a hyperinflation yet. God forbid that happens in the UK, but the US particularly continues to print money and the UK will do so as well, particularly with unemployment, particularly with coming back from COVID. Number nine, a little bit less serious. <laughs> Hot cross buns, should they be toasted or put in the microwave? Everyone on Instagram knows that I believe they should be microwaved because I think the toaster, it makes them hard and crispy, which I know can be quite nice if you've got like some hot butter or some cream or some jam or something that you're adding to them. But I prefer mine kind of soft and warm and I just bite into them like that. There's no kind of need for condiments and it's, it's a nice taste sensation. Number 10, something you're doing now that you would never have seen yourself doing over two years ago. Well, the first that comes to mind is obviously journaling. A lot of people know that I'm coming up for just over a year of journaling now, and it's been a tremendous experience for me overall. It's really helped with my self-awareness, my self-talk, mapping out my intentions for the day, but my intentions over the longer term and putting pen to paper has been, has been excellent. So I certainly didn't see myself doing that two years ago. I didn't see myself podcasting every week. I think I'd only been in one or two guest appearances by April 2020, uh, 2019. So for me, two years down the line to be released 67, however many episodes we're, we're on, uh, would, would have been a big surprise to me. So there's, there's, there's two for starters of things that I do. A lot of the other habits I have around training and steps and reducing phone use, those were a lot of those were in place in, in, in 2019. So I've been on that hype for a while. I suppose the only other area of fitness is I didn't see myself doing some of the Metcons and the training that I was doing nowadays. Uh, I was a lot more strict in terms of bodybuilding in the logbook. Whereas now, yes, there's three or four sessions at that a week, but there's also some more conditioning sessions where I'm pushing myself aerobically and from a cardio perspective. Number 11, this is somebody that's in the know. When will your news be announced? Eyes emoji. Uh, news will be publicly available on the Tuesday, the 4th of May. So depending when you listen to this, you will already know um, what's changed in my life at that point. Number 12, you haven't spoken a lot about fitness goals. Are you working towards any at the moment? I think the reason I've not spoken an awful lot about them is because I've been on autopilot in, in many ways. And that's not actually a bad thing because I feel good about where my fitness is at and what I'm doing. And the habit is so ingrained that I just turn up and do stuff and train hard. And a lot of the time it's progressive and I'm going to continue to train hard six days a week. It might go to five, depending on what's happening with work and podcast and, and golf and social life as things open back up. But that's going to look like three fairly strict hypertrophy or strength sessions, three sessions where I do some of that at the start and then go into some Metcons, which are more challenging for my cardio and my aerobic and like I say I didn't see myself doing that even two years ago but it plays a big part in my in my training now number 13 the biggest thing that COVID has taught you on a positive side of things continued appreciation of the small things so spending a lot of time speaking connecting with family and friends and being totally present within that so being even stricter about when you're with your family or your friends you're out for a walk or whatever you're up to having the phone away, data off if you need to, to escape the distractions as I sometimes do. And really valuing the small things in terms of the time. Like I've always been close with my mum because she, um, she stopped working when Ian was born. And so she spent a lot of time with us. But genuinely now 
I check in with her loads because I know she's been like struggling during the pandemic in terms of like seeing friends and stuff like that. Whereas I guess some of those younger folk have been a little bit more um, able to see friends and, and, and a bit looser. Some of the older generation in their kind of mid sixties or ha- have really struggled even more so, especially if you weren't working during it in terms of like mum is a, is, is a housewife and she's, she's found that more, more challenging. So I think positively, appreciation of the small things and greater presence within the time that you spend with your family and your your friends negatively i think a lot of people have lost an element of agency and an element of self-responsibility during the period and i think one of the ways that that was determined was you saw people jump from kind of one cause or virtue signal to the next instead of assessing what was going on and understanding and kind of changing their minds like the the wind would change because if you think back to January 2020 in relation to COVID, we had memes like making fun of like coronavirus. You had the, I don't know if you remember, you had the mask round the bottles of Bex and then the Corona bottle facing them and people like laughing because it was only in China at that point. We didn't think it was particularly serious or well, we, we thought it was only in China at that point. And then we went all the way through to, this is like the biggest killer crazy disease we've ever seen that's going to kill millions of people in every country like the UK is going to have 20,000 deaths a day or whatever the hysterical figures were and there's like people jumping from one extreme to the next without ever stepping back and reading the the facts and whatnot and you see people shouting about wearing like two masks in America at once and you just think can we all just try and be a bit more rational here so I think from a negative perspective we been caught up a little bit in the hysteria and it's important to try and distance ourselves and I, I hate the term do your own research but because it can it makes you sound like a conspiracy theorist but sometimes just step back review what's publicly available both in the mainstream media but also in other sources online and just make an educated choice in how you feel about things question 14 how has socials and podcasting been transferable to other areas of your life um another tan of the monster there it's worked in both ways so I think it's been beneficial at first I had a strong writing style for Instagram because of the politics degree that I did it was heavily essay based and the skill of taking complex data from political writers in in journals or in books and distilling it down into an uh, a kind of digestible information within a an essay was really valuable and I just went and did that on Instagram and my socials around fitness in kind of 2017 speaking about big topics like energy balance, cardio, push-pull legs, muscle frequency, protein synthesis and taking these kind of high-level studies and distilling it down into something that you can understand. So that was definitely like I suppose work in education meant that I was primed and ready to transfer that into social media but then in reverse, talking on stories on Instagram to my camera made me more comfortable within work presenting over Zoom or presenting over video, which we did a lot of even before the pandemic. And it helped my work with the camera be comfortable both within socials and within within work. And I guess I wouldn't have been as comfortable within work if I hadn't done the reps and the practice and awkwardly spoken to the camera on my Instagram story in the past. And equally that feeds into with the podcast because 
I presented since the age of 21 within work and speaking and presenting and going through PowerPoints and researching your client or your prospect is very similar to what you do in advance of a podcast. You understand about the guest, you understand where you think the conversation might go. You set an agenda, you think about some questions that you might want to ask, you listen intently and let them speak before you come back and think about what they've said and lead the conversation in another direction. And, and I think that was definitely transferable. So there's definitely transferable skills in both directions. And then lastly, I think my confidence from social media and knowing that people were quite interested in what I had to say was definitely prevalent in my work. As in, I went into work feeling confident that, oh, people quite are like quite take to what I've got to say. And they, they've, I've built a strong personal brand online. So I can do that within the workplace or within whatever marketplace I'm operating. So it definitely reinforced elements in both directions of what my identity was as a, a valuable human. And it reassured me on what my values were as well. Following on from that one, question 15. How have you maintained a healthy relationship with soul socials and podcasting? I think to be quite honest, at times it's not been healthy. I don't think anyone's relationship with something as complex and as deep as social media can ever be fully healthy, particularly when there is a level of pressure that you put on yourself and maybe your audience puts on you as it grows to show up. And I certainly enjoyed showing up and I still do. But for three years, I posted daily on the Instagram feed on the grid. And that requires a lot of commitment, a lot of time in preparation to try and make it a valuable post as well. And it can be a a little bit obsessive, although I was well organized and I tended to have things ready the week in advance in terms of maybe on the Sunday for the most of the week. There were obviously days that came about where I was maybe stressed and it mostly manifested around being stressed about getting an image to fit a caption. And that would sometimes impact on like situations I was in where I was kind of like, oh, right, I should get my phone out and ask somebody to take a photo for me or ask my friend to take a photo for me. And that ruins the occasion. So I think that would be one of the negatives that I thought about my relationship with socials at that point. However, that was when I was in growth mode, I would describe it as. I was trying to get to 10,000 followers. I was going beyond 10,000 followers. Now where Instagram is at, I'm fairly happy with the audience size and that's helped to remove some of the pressures. It's almost that element of discipline, short-term or medium term equals freedom long term and I now only really post on the grid three to four times a week when I feel like it when I think I've got something to say maybe when I when I want to talk about a podcast or share something that's prevalent from one of my deals I've got with muscle food or or, or my protein that might be um, beneficial to the audience and I think if we look in contrast at podcasting as part of that that's seemed pretty healthy right from the start I haven't felt too much pressure. I did two a week, the first 10 weeks, so 20 episodes in 10 weeks. And thereafter, it's been weekly where I've managed to do that quite comfortably. There's been times, and at the moment, that's one of those times where I could definitely do two a week for a period because I have a backlog of guests to release, but I want to maintain the quality. I want to maintain a level of life alongside podcasting. And in both instances, Instagram and podcasting, you can get attached to the numbers and that's why I try not to be too goal focused and I'd much rather focus on the processes of it. So back in the day, that was seven grid posts, multiple stories per day. 
seven group posts per week, multiple stories per day. In podcasting, it's one per week. Record one or two podcasts per week with an, an interesting guest. And the results will come. Instagram, interestingly, is not quite as much like that nowadays. And an example would be in recent days, I posted about how to reduce screen time and manage that, which is genuinely an important topic, which would improve most people's quality of life. And it got fairly minimal reach to my followers on Instagram. Whereas in contrast, I posted the day before about gyms in Scotland reopening, me and my top off, like looking happy. And it got triple, maybe four times as much reach. So Instagram, in terms of following the process, it doesn't always reward you and the numbers don't always come from giving value. Sometimes they just they just come randomly based on what you've posted and what you've shared. Whereas I think the podcast has been the opposite. It's just continued to grow as the values continued and people go back into the archive, which is, is great and continue to listen to stuff from over a year ago. 16, biggest cause of friction in your life. I think somebody here has read Atomic Habits, which is good. I think like most people, I spoke there about my relationship with social. I think our relationship with technology is a big area of friction for many of us. And, and certainly for myself, I can get trapped on, on an app and think about the time that you spend on a moderately simple task when your phone is present and how much more it adds to the time that you do, maybe lowers the quality of you doing the task as well. So I would certainly say that that is a, a noticeable area of friction for me if I don't manage that correctly. Fitnessy one here, 17. If you only had to do three exercises for the rest of your life, what are you choosing? Right, for starters, let's work on the foundations, which is legs. So some sort of leg movement that would activate a good portion of my legs. For me, that would either be some sort of squat variation or a dumbbell lunge, which I've always found to be excellent for both quads, hamstrings, glutes. But it'd maybe be like a a goblet squat or a Bulgarian split squat or a, a dumbbell stationary lunge. So you're nailing the foundations. That'd be one portion of the exercise. Second would definitely be the pull-up or chin-up because it's the king of back movements and having an aesthetic strong back is both good from a, a looks perspective, but also from a functional perspective and a, a feeling good posterior perspective. And the last would be in, in that line as well, although I was tempted to say bicep curls or tricep extensions. I would say face pull. Given the sedentary sitting lifestyle that many of us lead, and I'm one of those people, I would say that the face pull counteracts the big challenges that we face from sitting for long times. And it works on those rear delts and it works on that upper mid back and those kind of smaller muscles, or kind of less focused on muscles that are, are foundational to us. 18, these are always really hard, these questions. What are your five-year goals? I am generally pretty terrible at looking too much ahead. And I find that processes over goals help me in most cases in terms of that. However, I do need some sort of guiding principle or something to aim at in some way, but I don't necessarily have loads and loads of stuff written down about what five years might look like. Equally, my mind may change on that in the future and I may write down more goals I have done in the past. But at the moment, a lot of where you end up is based on the actions that you take day to day. And I suppose I would have to reevaluate re the actions if in five, six, eight months time, I was looking at myself and saying, oh God, I'm not really where, where, where I would like to be. 
So if I was being broad on a career level, I would like to be working in a job that pays me well financially and rewards me, but also fulfills me in terms of getting to speak to exciting clients and prospects that I can understand how I can add value to them by solving a problem or providing a solution and making sure that in my day job, I'm excited about the opportunity to present and sign and win a deal and help another business or another individual that results in me being financially remunerated. So that's obviously career. But if we think about wider than that, golf, for example, I'd like to play off a, a lower handicap. I would like to be a, a mid to high single figure handicap. So between six to nine and being really competitive in that space, playing at a really nice golf club. I'll pay it a nice one just now, but maybe I would I would upgrade that in the next few years as my earning power increases. Personal-wise, I would hope to be maybe in a settled relationship. I'll be 33 by that point, so maybe I would be more settled than I am now. But equally, I don't think in this day and age you should be in a rush, and I certainly am not at the age of 28, but maybe in five years I will be. Fitness-wise, I would still want to be in pretty ruthless shape and training hard and finding fulfillment from whatever form of training I'm doing. I'm sure hypertrophy and stimulating muscles and being strong and lifting weights will be a part of that, but maybe there'll be other elements that I delve into, like the more functional stuff I'm enjoying. Personal brand and socials-wise, I'd want to continue to have a positive influence on whatever platform was in vogue at the time, whether that's Instagram, whether that's podcasting, whether that's YouTube. And I certainly think my focus would be on the ones that enable me to have longer form audio or visual or both conversations, because I think that's where I can add the most value. And I hope you agree. In terms of question 19 is very similar to that. It's actually about my goals for this year, 2021, 2022. And it's very, very similar, but maybe I'd strip it back to in my career, hitting a, hitting a certain target that I've got within the business to unlock a particular bonus or incentive. And there's a lot of processes I need and I know I can follow daily and weekly to, to do that. But obviously, that's a goal that's, that's measured annually. I, fitness-wise, would want to continue doing what I'm doing. Probably want to hit a 180-kilo deadlift at about 72, 73 kilos body weight for one, two reps, maybe. I'm not really sure. Uh, I've not sent a bench press target yet, but something like 100 kilos for five would be pretty cool. At the moment, I'd probably do 90 for six at a push. <laughs> so that would be a, a big, big jump. I think I can get two at 100 just now, at about 73, 72 kilos body weight. And the rest of my goals, I think personally, I want to continue to be socially active. I've had some amazing connections during 2020 and 2021, despite... COVID, I've, I've seen a lot of people um, within the environment we've been able to, and I've enjoyed that, and I've connected with some brilliant people, so I'd like that to continue, and that would be a, a big focus on me to kind of progress in those areas while still being social. Question 20, I'm feeling a bit lost career-wise. I think COVID made this harder for me. What would you do to find the right career path? Right, hard question. First of all, I would, I would ask yourself some you, you some questions. And I'm sure the, the rest of the people listening might value this as well. Question one, what do you care about? Is it an area that is financially scalable? So you could care about stamps and 
that's all well and good, but can you make money or can you provide value through a service around stamps? Equally, we've spoken to people who've moved from industries into fitness because they thought they could provide value and have a real passion for it. And that's been successful for some, not successful for others. So think about what you care about. Can you add value in it? What kind of money do you want to earn? Because it could well be that in order for you to find a career that you're happy in, it might be one that doesn't make you a millionaire. And that's great. Most people aren't millionaires. Or it could be that you would be willing to work in a job that pays you a lot of money, but you're not quite as excited about or not quite as passionate about. You need to think where your values lie in terms of money versus fulfillment. And you need to work in a sector that will pay you the sort of money in the medium to long term that you want to be on. So if you are absolutely determined to be a millionaire, you probably don't want to work in retail because I, I don't know many people that work in retail that are millionaires unless they own the shop or own a chain of shops. So that's just a, 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 an example off the top of my head. Other questions to be, to be aware of, I think, are what qualifications do you have right now or where you maybe need to work in the sectors that you're thinking about? So accountancy, insurance, fitness, all these different areas require some form of qualification. Think about what those are, what the timeframes are on getting those, what the cost attached to that is. And I think that's important to understand. Another area for your career path would be think about people that you know, or maybe your friends know, your family know, who work in industries that you're interested in and set up calls. People are always happy to talk about what they do normally, as long as they don't hate it. They're normally quite happy, particularly speak to successful people within the area that you might be interested in. And I'm sure you'll be willing to, they'll be willing to have a conversation with you and you can understand more about whether it might be right for you. And they might not sell you a pipe dream. Hopefully they'll give you some, some good insight. And I think that would be a good space to, to start. I think the last one is how willing are you to stick within this career path long-term can you see yourself doing it in five years? I think that's important. I know I'm talking about short-term processes and not being too long-term goal-orientated, but are you willing to work within this space for a period of time? Great, then let's let, let's go for it. If it's very, very short-term, then it's probably not a career path. It's more of a short-term earning decision that you're making. And lastly, I think around that, would you be willing to step to the side or maybe a small step backwards if it meant long-term gains within an industry that you think you would have a longer career path in, I think you need to have a, an understanding or a discussion with yourself about whether you're willing. 21, another kind of business career one. Tips for career progression. Again, feel like I'm stagnating because of COVID. Interesting, that's two separate people asking about career around COVID. So it's good that people are thinking about that. Career progression-wise, I think one of the first things you can do is invest in a mentor. Now that is not me telling you to go to some online guru because there are some great ones, but there's some shockers too. But look at people who are one, two, three, four steps ahead of you in your career and where you're wanting to go within business and talk to them. Can I get half an hour of your time? I I mentioned that if you're what career path you're looking at. Try and get time with people who are a little bit ahead of you. That can be really informal at first. Find out what their roadmap is. Find out the journey they took. What qualifications did they get? What skills do they think are valuable in your space that you can maybe work on? What are your strengths and weaknesses that 
differ to theirs or align with theirs and work on them and know what it will take to move forward. Equally, one of the other areas within career progression, I think a lot of people forget about, and I think I've hopefully done this well during my career, is looking at where you can add value in contrast to your colleagues. So where do you fit within the wider organization, within the business, within the team that you're in, and what can you do that you do better than others? Or what can you start to try and do better than others? Example for me in sales would be, am I better at cold calling? Am I better at writing emails? Am I better at presenting in meetings? These are all things where you can add value that your colleagues can't. Recently, I've started doing videos in the last wee while to send to prospective clients. And a lot of my colleagues were a bit shy of doing that. And I mentioned earlier that one of the reasons I feel quite confident is because I've done that on Instagram over the years. And I feel confident speaking to whoever it is on a, on, on a video and recording myself, which is really uncomfortable for a lot of people. But it makes me more valuable within my career and it helps me progress because within the organization, I'm like, well, that's really innovative and clever what Colin's doing there. And look at the results he's getting from it. And that should be something that you look at as well. What do you do quite well that some of your colleagues are like, oh God, I really like that or they're not very good at it. Equally, if there's things that nobody in your team is good at and you're not good at them yet, why don't you try and get better at it? Because then you solve a problem for the organization. And if you solve a problem for the organization, you probably generate some revenue for it and you should be remunerated based on that. So that's that's a couple of tips, I think, for, for career, career progression. Question 22, three people you'd most like to have on the podcast. As I said, when I was talking about my dream guest, this changes all the time just based on who I've had on and some great guests. The previous top three were obviously James Clear, Joe Delaney, and a, I've had a mind black. Who was the other one I wanted on? Andrew Craig, of course, Andrew Craig. And for me, it remains James Clear would be my top three guests I've not had on yet. And... Jamie Alderton, I think would be an interesting guest. So he was well-known as Grenade J. He was somebody that had a lot of influence on me in the fitness space, but also regarding mindset, his book, Mindset with Muscle, when I was 2016, it would have been, had a profound effect on me. So I'd love to have a chat with Jamie. If anyone knows him, please introduce me. And the last one would be another financial one. Uh, Ramit Sehi, I've read his book, I Will Teach You to Be Rich. And he's a very interesting guy in the financial space. Uh, little bit of a guru, but he has the the means and the processes to back it up. And I think he would be a great guest. And actually, previous podcast guest, Chris Burns, sent me his book to read during the first lockdown last year. And it was a, it was a, it was a great book to read. Number 23, your influences, inspirations, admirations, and heroes. Go. I had a wee chat with the, the gentleman that sent this question, and, and I'm, I'm going to try and go into this in as, in as much depth as possible many of you will have heard me answer it on maybe the first solo podcast back maybe episode 44 45 something like that and I spoke about those that motivate me one of those was my grandpa uh, Willie Thornton who would be a dinner guest for me uh, my own dad and his work ethic people like Jamie Alderton who inspire me Joe Delaney who inspires me his physique however I think if we're talking foundationally your family motivate you and they motivate me because you spend so much time with them and uh, particularly during your formative years so throughout the course of my life my family my parents have had a massive effect on me the however much you dislike that they definitely shape you your parents equally 
I'm definitely influenced by my brother. We spend a lot of time together. We've had so many similar interests over the years. The gym, uh, rugby, golf. Socially, we, we've, we've always uh, been in similar circles as well. Football. Uh, moving forward, we, we both did the same, same type of degree at university. We both did politics, albeit at different universities. And we currently work in the same career sector in insurance. So there's a lot of crossover. So inevitably, you're influenced by people you spend time with inspirations and admirations wise i've definitely said my family so my dad and my grandpa willie thornton are, are big inspirations and the people i i admire heavily mostly due to work ethic and the achievements that they had during their life particularly grandpa as somebody that's been at the top of the football world and is well respected there and he won a military medal as well which makes i'm very proud of but beyond that i think i was physically uh inspired by people like Joe Delaney, by Jamie Alderton, by Johnny Starr, if any of you know who that is. He's an Australian guy, absolutely incredible physique. He's definitely not natural, but you can still appreciate the the standard physique that he's built and that inspires you. And then if we're talking about aspirations externally, uh, sorry, admirations externally, previous guest in the podcast, Chris Williamson, somebody I have tremendous admiration for. Look what he's built with modern wisdom, but also look at the journey he's been on with self-actualization and understanding of who he is and the development of his personality post-reality TV and being a club promoter for such a long period of time to now be a voice of self-development and, and guidance to so many young men and women must be incredible. And I've got a lot of admiration for him from that perspective. So a follow-up to this question for 24 was, how has that changed over time? So what was it years ago and any, are there any constants that remain during this period or are there any quick fixes that you have to get you up and get, get you going? I think the phrase that the gentleman that asked me this question was like, what gets Colin going when he needs something quick? Family, first of all, are an absolute constant as there's not been many changes in that area for me during my lifetime. I was raised by my two parents and my brother were a very small family. We never really had any grandparents that were alive during that time. So there's not been any massive shifts or changes in that. And I'm fortunate that both my parents are still healthy and with us and, 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 and supporting us. Ones that evolve that are not constants will be the sources that I consume. So there's absolutely times where I've relied on more on motivation or getting fired up by a particular source. So I remember when I first started trying to really train my legs hard after people had said, oh, you've got good arms and abs, but you no know, legs. I would watch like, YouTube videos like leg day motivation or leg day montage or squats to failure videos before I went and trained my legs. Whereas now I would never need that. Like I'm quite happy to go and train my legs hard because that's just what I do. So I think the sources you consume over time definitely change and you definitely start to rely on different things. I also think certain books resonate harder with you depending on what you're going through in your life at some point. So I read Atomic Habits twice, both times it's been massive, but the second time I read it, it just reinforced that the habits and the behaviors that I have are massively positive for where I want to end up. Whereas at that time in life, I was kind of questioning, like, am I too focused on my habits or too focused on what I do daily? Quick fix is an interesting one because I think you always need some sort of trigger sometimes to get you going on those days where you're not absolutely flying and nobody's flying all the time and I'm certainly not from by any by any means although I think my level now is fairly high so sparking a monster 40 45 an hour before I train is a big way for me to flip the switch and 
as a quick fix to think, right, Colin, it's go time. Let's get to, let's get to work. Another that may interest people is my steps. Many people know that I go for my morning steps and that's like a, a start to the day. That is the time to go Colin. Let's, let's proceed with a positive day. But I actually interestingly also use steps as a way, as a quick fix of thinking about problems and challenges, particularly without any input from a podcast or music or headphones on a call, on a phone call, I think going for a walk can lead to you thinking a lot more clearly. And I'm sure there's some science around it. And I'm actually looking at a particular podcast guest and we'll see if I've got the leverage to get them on. So please keep sharing the episodes to help me get the listens up because to get some of the guests I'm going for now, you need some, some clout, but off tangent there. In order to refresh or think, lunchtime is, is a prime example, away from my laptop for 30, 40 minutes, getting some movement, getting some steps in. A lot of the time I will be listening to a podcast, but sometimes I'll just have no input at all and it will enable me to reset and a quick fix to have a really good, strong afternoon at work. And I do believe that movement facilitates clarity of thought. So that'll be an interesting one for people to think of as a quick fix to reset your your day and move forward. 26, what is your biggest frustration with the podcast? Do you know, I'd never thought about this until somebody asked, I don't think I've had massive frustrations with it over the last year. Probably the only one would be, and this is being maybe a bit sour, but if I have a guest on and they don't share it as much as I would hope with their audience, whether that's not posting it on their grid or not posting it on their story or not resharing some of the tags that they get, I think that's disappointing sometimes because you would hope that they would put it out there. But again, I can't be too fussy about that. It's their personal choice whether they want to really push the episode that they've been involved in. I know from personal experience, I've been on a lot of podcasts now and I'm always happy to to reshare it and try and get that podcast some exposure or share the conversation that I've had because I hope it'll be valuable to my audience because I know you listen to me on this solo one. So hopefully you're going to listen to me being interviewed on, on another. 27, what protein do you get from my protein? For shakes, I always get chocolate smooths, impact whey protein. It is an absolute winner, just does the job so well, just tastes great. You can include your greens powder in that and you don't even taste it as much. Uh, it's, that's good notes as well, but maybe even better notes is cinnamon danish, which is amazing for oats and for yogurt as well. Uh, obviously, if you're ordering from my protein, MP Call is the, is the way to go to get your discount as well. 28, nearing the home straight now. Can you think of any defining moments in your life that you feel shaped you into who you are or made you realize who you wanted to be? Oof. Hardest question of the episode, I think. In fact, I don't think I know that's the hardest question of the of the episode. I mentioned earlier about like 17-year-old calls plans. I think whoever and whatever you've experienced over a period of time builds and shapes you. So everything that's happened from my cradle all the way up to this point has had an influence and shaped me in who I want to be and who I wanted. So it's hard to think of exact moments that are like massive and foundational and, and, and kind of key in my development or, or changing who I am. However, if you're thinking like childhood experiences, I definitely know that I lift weights and want to feel physically strong and well presented because as a, as a child at late primary school early secondary school I wasn't particularly impressively built I was quite small and slight 
I was easily pushed around and, and disregarded. I didn't feel particularly respected. So that certainly has defined me because it's meant that I've had a, an aversion to being like that. And that's not to say I've got small man syndrome or I'm self-conscious about not being big because I'm five foot 10, I'm well built and I like I, I look well presented. And some of the people that I maybe would have not got on well with at school that I don't think treated me with respect, like I would laugh at them now. But that's been a conscious effort because I suppose I wouldn't ever want to end up in that position again where somebody thought they could physically impose themselves on me and that's not to say I've had a really really tough time at school definitely wasn't terrible but I wasn't I wasn't like a a high status individual in 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 early secondary school because I felt quite slight and and meager and I definitely wasn't an imposing figure so that that would definitely define me to some extent other moments I think have led to where I am just now I was a podcast guest probably two to three times in early 2019 and I've said maybe before that that made me want to host my own podcast which I think is healthy and has led to me going all in on this so those are defining moments that compounded so I don't think it was one particular episode where I was like I'm going to do this myself but those added up and became a reason that I wanted to be a guest and it lit my fire that I thought I can be a positive influence on this platform why don't I do it Equally, other defining moments, again, I think these compound, but some of the messages you get back in the day when I was first starting with Instagram, Ian and I were doing cam bros together. Some of the messages you were having, the impact you were having just from giving free value, like people saying, I've lost weight because I've been following your page and I understand macros all of a sudden, you explain it so well. That felt amazing. And that kind of defines your ability to continue and do that. And equally, podcast has been incredible for that. Like far more messages about the podcast than I do about Instagram now. And it keeps you going and it defines it defines what you want to try and deliver on the platform. <laughs> Last question and hopefully trying to get me all emotional here. Did you cry when Rangers won 55? I did. Um, <laughs> no tears from me. Uh, actually, at the time when we officially won the league, I was training at the garage gym with Ian and Fraser, who owns the garage. And we started to stream the Dundee United Celtic game because we'd won the day before against St Mirren. And Celtic had to win to stop us winning the league. And it was nil-nil with about five minutes to go. And Ian got a stream on his phone. And I just didn't want to watch it because I thought, oh, Celtic will score and then we'll need to win it. The I think it was the week after that. But... We streamed it. Uh, it was nil-nil. Final whistle blew. Obviously, we're jumping around celebrating. So there wasn't any any tears or anything like that. But genuinely celebrating that day, seeing the players at the training ground, seeing friends and celebrating with them, that was incredible. And I was on a massive high for weeks after that. But no, 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 no tears. I kind of had that. Uh, I wasn't drinking, as many of you know. I'm not a big drinker at all. But I had that kind of drunk, husky voice for like a few days afterwards. I actually jumped in a few different podcasts as a guest. And I think I had one that I recorded for my show where <laughs> I was apologizing to the guest because I was a lot more husky and hoarse because I've been shouting and singing and celebrating. But no no, no tears. I think Trophy Day on the 15th of May, I believe it is, which is coming up. I'll definitely be emotional, but I'm not sure I'll... I'll, I'll cry. Rangers means a tremendous amount to me because of my family, because of my heritage and my, and my passion for it, but didn't elicit any, any tears at that point. So that's us wrapped up and another solo podcast, another Q&A with 
29 questions answered. Hopefully you've enjoyed all of those. If you've got any really good ones, save them for the next time round. I'll hopefully do this in about 10 episodes time and you'll enjoy that equally. As ever, please continue to support the podcast. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, hit the five-star review button and leave a short written review about what you're enjoying about it. Or even better than that, share it direct with a friend that you think would enjoy it. And I'll be back to speak to you all again very, very soon.